following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Hello. Hmm. Uh, well, we're back in Second uh, Peter this morning. So as you're turning there, I just um, I want to remind you of our Advent devotional that we'll be starting together. Um, the copies that we bought went like hotcakes last week, um, but good news, the internet still has them. Um, you can go to uh, ligonier.org or Amazon carries them as well. Um, they're about 12 bucks. The Dawn of Redeeming Grace. And so we're going to be reading that together uh, through the month of December leading up to Christmas. Um, one reading at a time. We do that uh, with our family. Um, so I would encourage you if you haven't got a, if you didn't get a copy of that last week, um, pick one up and should get here. Um, provided it doesn't come through any ports in California, you should have it before December. Um, we'll see. But so I encourage you there. Um, I think that's all I wanted to say. So we're going back to Second Peter. We're going to look at verses 16 through 21 this morning, and that's on page 1018 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. Uh, and though we're going to focus just on verses 16 through 21, I want to go back to verse 12 so we can kind of get a running start uh, and get some context uh, and remember Peter's purpose in writing this letter. So let's look at that together. First Peter, uh, sorry, Second Peter. There are two of them. Second Peter, chapter one, uh, starting at verse twelve. Peter writes, "Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have." I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be, at a, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do, way, you would, will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your, in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for bringing us together once again. We thank you that we can freely gather around your word. We thank you that you've preserved your word for us and you speak to us through it by the power of your Holy Spirit. 
So that's our prayer this morning, Lord, that your spirit would speak and that you would mold us into the image of your son as a result of our time together in the word this morning. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, for the last few weeks, we have been talking about, um, about the qualities that we should add to our faith. Uh, and what it looks like to mature as disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, but that was not Peter's sole purpose in writing to the church. Um, as we read, Peter wanted to remind the church of what was most important. Uh, and he made every effort to make sure that the church would be able to recall these things even after he had died. Uh, you may uh, You may remember... Um, Jesus uh, said specifically to Peter, um, how how his life was to end. Um, he said, uh, you know, when you're young, you go where you want, you do what you want. But when you're old, someone is going to lead you uh, where you don't want to go. Um, and the interpretation of that was that uh, Jesus was describing Peter's martyrdom. Uh, and tradition holds that Peter was indeed martyred, that he was crucified, um, but he refused to be crucified in the same manner as the Lord Jesus. So he asked, if you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down, uh, because I'm not worthy of being uh, killed in the same way that the Lord Jesus was. And and they did. Um So he knew at the writing of this letter that that time was coming. Um, Every day brought him closer to that. But the things that he wanted the church to remember, he wrote down, thankfully. Um, And what he wanted the church to remember was not just how to behave, um, not just what kind of building materials to use uh, and building their lives as disciples of Christ, not you make sure you use the gold, the silver and the precious stones, right? But he also wanted to remind them of the very foundation that they were building on. Um, And the church needed to be reminded of these things um, back in the first century, because as we'll see when we get to chapter two of this letter, false teachers were trying to deceive Christians, trying to pull them away from uh, the truth to get them to follow after them, to abandon what they had learned um, and pledge allegiance to them and their falsehood. Well, praise God, that you know, doesn't happen anymore. Um, and we praise God because it is still happening, and God has preserved this teaching for us to make sure that we stay on track. He's preserved his word so that we can read it and understand it for ourselves and not get mixed up. So Peter gives the church here two... Um, Two reminders of the sure foundation of the truth that they had been taught. The, the word of credible witnesses and the word of God itself. This text was uh, Peter's reaffirmation of the truth, the foundation on which we stand by faith and the ground that he stood on to defend the church from false teachers that we'll read about in chapter 2. He says in verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So what's Peter talking about? Any guesses? The transfiguration. Yeah, used that word just yesterday in conversation, didn't you? All right, this is... Um, Peter is talking about when when Jesus was transformed before his very eyes uh, and shone in bright glory and majesty and Moses and Elijah appeared with him and there's big cloud and booming voice. You know what? We don't have to I don't have to describe it to you. Peter describes it through the pen of Mark um, in Mark chapter nine. I'll read that to you quickly. Well, I'll try not to read quickly. You need to understand it. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This is Mark chapter nine, verse one. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter. Heard that name before, right? Peter, James, and well, Ben has Peter, James, and John. And he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead. Now, this is a huge moment. Um, Just in the lives of Peter, James and John, obviously, but there's a there's all kinds of theological depth there. Uh, you've got you have uh, Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah. Why Moses and Elijah? We talked about this when we we're going through the Gospel of Mark, right? Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, and the law and the prophets together make what we call the Old Testament. And now you have the new covenant of faith in Jesus Christ, uh, and he's talking to them, and then. They're gone, and he's still there, right? So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Um, pretty cool, I think. Um, in a court of law, cases stand or fall on the word of eyewitnesses, credible eyewitnesses. And Peter, as we just read, was an eyewitness to the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he described here in Second Peter. Peter witnessed the majesty of Jesus when, when his face was changed and his clothes became intensely white. He witnessed it when Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, when the Father himself spoke from the cloud and said, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Peter was an eyewitness of these things. And he's telling the church here in Second Peter, Look, we didn't make this up. 
This wasn't just, you know, our, our way of trying to get people to follow after us. Believe what I say and be my follower. And, you know, all you've got to do is send twenty nine ninety five to this number on the screen and you'll experience healing and blessing and blah, blah, blah. Right? No. He says, we didn't make this up. Me and James and John, we saw this with our own eyes. We heard this with our own ears that God himself declared Jesus to be his son. This wasn't a cleverly devised myth. This was the truth. Peter was an eyewitness to a lot of things, not just that moment. He was there when Jesus walked on water. He was there when he fed the 5,000. He was there when Jesus gave sight to the blind. He was there when Jesus raised people from the dead. He healed the lame. And he was there when Jesus preached good news to the poor. He didn't follow after cleverly devised myths. We didn't do that when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Peter's an eyewitness and we can believe what he said. And then, as Alistair Begg put it, Peter did what all good pastors must do. And that is point men and women back to the Bible. That's Peter's second um, I didn't come up with the word for them. The thing. The second thing. First thing, uh, we're eyewitnesses. Second thing, uh, we have the word of God itself. We not only have the word of eyewitnesses, but we have the very word of God. Look at verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. John Calvin wrote, The truth of the gospel is here simply proved by a twofold testimony. Testimony, that's the word I wanted. That Christ had been highly approved by the solemn declaration of God. And then that all the prophets, uh, all the prophecies of the prophets confirmed the same thing. See, the prophetic word that Peter, uh, Peter's making reference to here was specifically what we call now the Old Testament. Uh, Peter didn't call it the Old Testament because the, the new one hadn't been written yet. Right? He was kind of in that process, right? Um, Peter declares that the word of God was more sure than even his own testimony and the truth of the promise of Messiah in the Old Testament was confirmed by its fulfillment in Jesus. Now, I know those of you who have been around here for a while and know, know me, know I don't do a lot of preaching from the Old Testament. Uh, but please don't ever take that as a sign that it has no value or that it's not important. Um, it's, it's, that's, not, that's not true. Matthew Henry wrote, Read the Old Testament as a prophecy of Christ, and with diligence and thankfulness, use the New Testament as the best exposition of the Old Testament. Right? That makes sense. I was talking uh, with my uncle earlier this week, and we were talking about this, this very thing. Um, 
Jesus is on every page of Scripture. You, you have to read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. Otherwise, there's a lot of stories about a lot of stuff. And, uh, and I don't know. It's in places I've never heard of. It's names of people I can't pronounce. Why do we even have this at all? We have the gospel testified testified to by the apostles in the New Testament, and the gospel is confirmed and predicted by the prophets in the Old Testament. Jesus is on every page of Scripture, New and Old Testament, and we need to pay attention to it as a lamp in a dark place. We can't ignore the Old Testament and say, well, Jesus isn't in that, so I, you know, I don't really need that. That's not true. He's there. He's there over and over and over again. And we need to pay attention to it, as Peter says, as a lamp in a dark place. Now, this is another... Um, I, I think sometimes the, the translators just kind of left things um, to make it more fun for guys like me that, that aren't satisfied with English very much. Um, the, the word that Peter uses for dark doesn't just mean... There isn't light. Um, the word, it means squalid, miserable, filthy darkness. Right? I, I think of dark, dirty places. Like uh, when we were first married, we, we lived in a house that had a, a granite cellar hole, uh, not a full foundation with cement and lights and things like that. No, it was like this wet, dirty, dark, like one light bulb hanging from a, it was gross. We'd never like to go down there. And that's not, that doesn't even do this word justice. Squalid, miserable, filthy darkness. Well, this is not, this is the condition of the world. It's that kind of darkness. It's not just like, well, you know, we choose Jesus and other people don't. And that's our choice and we're all fine. No. The world without Jesus is in filthy, squalid, miserable darkness. And that's not just the condition of the world. That's the condition of people's hearts without Christ. That's the condition of our hearts without Christ. Squalid, miserable, filthy darkness. There's no one who does good. We have to be really careful when we describe people. Oh, yeah, you know that guy? He's a good guy. Everybody loves him. He's not good. Neither are you. <clears throat> Great news. Right? I have this, uh, um, I aspire to have this coffee mug. That's, it has on the front of it the Calvinist Santa, and it just says, you're all naughty, Romans 3.23. Because <laughs> it's the truth. There is no one who does good. There's no one who seeks after God. There's no one ever who in and of themselves is good, but we have the word of God that shows us the light. Without it, Filthy darkness. 
The word of God shows us who Jesus is, shows us what he did for us, and shows us what he is continuing to do for those who trust in him. He is the light. God's word is the light that shows us Jesus. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus, there is no light. There is no light. And we will have that light as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, as it says in Psalm 119.105, which is incidentally in the Old Testament. We will have... That was funnier in here. But... We will have that light until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. Now, I think Peter gets a bad rap because what, is, what does that mean? He says stuff like that and we're like, oh, I, uh, like he complains about Paul being hard to understand, but he says stuff like morning star rising in your hearts and like what a, nobody else says stuff like that. What does that even mean? Well, this phrase is a subject of lots of debate. debate. Um, but as we've seen, Peter is writing to believers, right? That's important for us to understand from the context of the letter that Peter is writing to the church. He's writing to people who already trust in Jesus Christ. So the day dawning and the morning star rising in their hearts, like that can't be the moment they come to faith and the lights come on, right? It's, it's not it can't be when people come to faith in Christ because he's already talking to people that have faith in Christ and he's talking about this in a future sense, right? So if that isn't it, what could it be? I, I will. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I know you've been wondering about this all week. <laughs> we have the light of the word of God, both Old and New Testaments, given by God himself, as Peter says there in verses 20 and 21, as a lamp to navigate this filthy darkness and squalid misery of this life now. Just because we have the light of God's word, we have uh, the light through faith in Jesus, that doesn't make the world uh, less dark. This world is still trapped in filthy darkness. And when Jesus returns, that's when the day will dawn and the morning star will rise in our hearts. Jesus said in Revelation 22:16, like this is this not a huge day at first? We're talking about the Old Testament and Revelation. And I'm here, right? It's things I just don't do. Jesus said in Revelation 22:16, I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and Morning star. When the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts is the day of the dawning of eternity at Christ's return. When we shall see him face to face. Not like we're looking in a, in a, uh, through a glass darkly. But we will know him even as we are fully known. And how do we know that all of this is true? Because the Bible says so. And the Bible is from God. It's from God himself. 
And God, the Holy Spirit, is the best interpreter of his own words. Verse 20 says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is God's word, and he is the best to interpret it for us. When it says that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, that word interpretation is another one of those iffy translation words. It's, it's, or it's, it makes reference to the origin of the prophecy, not just somebody said it, now I interpret its meaning. It's the origin of the prophecy didn't come from the prophet himself. The Holy Spirit was speaking through, through him. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that the word carried along is a really cool picture of, a, it's another boat picture. I don't know. Peter was a fisherman, right? And they fished from boats. So I, I think he just loved boats, I guess. The, sorry. Being carried along by the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the, um, again, the, the word makes reference to a, a boat and its sails um, being carried along by the wind. Right? And that's how prophets worked, um, that the Holy Spirit uh, carried them along, filled their sails with wind um, to deliver the message wherever God wanted it to be delivered. And I want to I want to close um, with one of those times that a prophet was carried along by the Holy Spirit, uh, and the prophet was Peter. And I want to close with his short sermon uh, to Cornelius um, and his household, and that's found in Acts chapter ten. Cornelius was a, a Roman centurion and um, a Gentile. And Peter Peter is told by the Holy Spirit to go to this person's house. And he covers all that I have said uh, so far just um, a lot more briefly. Um, So Acts chapter 10, 34. So Peter opened his mouth. And said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in him, every nation, uh, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. For as the for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, his Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. That's the cross. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the simple gospel predicted by the prophets, witnessed by the apostles, preserved by the Holy Spirit in God's word, the Bible, and now proclaimed to you today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this light shining in a dark place, the light of your word. I thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to pay attention to it. And I pray that we would not let that opportunity pass us by. We ask, Father, that this word would sink deeply into our hearts and we would remember um, that the whole word is your word. And you, Lord Jesus, are on every page. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.